0: Father in heaven, Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity that you've given us to hear your word at any given time, Uh, but to have a week where it can be presented, where it can be shared um, through preaching and through singing, Lord, where we can come together and eat and fellowship and pray and praise. Father, we're grateful. Father, truth be told, we don't deserve all the chances that you give us. We don't deserve the kindness that you show towards us. And Father, I'm just grateful that oftentimes you use us in spite of us. And we pray, Lord, that, that even now that your presence would be here. And we pray even now that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, would touch our minds, would change us, Lord, from the inside out. We commit ourselves to you and pray, Father, that you'd speak to us. In your name we pray. Amen. If I could ask you, what do you think is the least read book in the Bible? Think about it. Think about it. What do you think might be the least read book in the Bible? Any, any ideas? Let me see some hands right there in the middle. Revelation, Revelation perhaps, yes. Obadiah. Obadiah, is that a book in the Bible? <laughs> it is, Yes. Lamentations. Okay, good. Anyone else? Leviticus. Song of Solomon. I'd go with that one. Uh, I personally think it's probably Song of Solomon, at least because it seems like there's some sort of age restriction on the book. Um, All the others, you can just just jump straight in. My sister said Revelation. It's true. You kind of do need a few prerequisites. Uh, But when it comes to Song of Solomon... You kind of don't really tell your children that it's in the Bible until they've found it for themselves. And then you just pass it off as a book about music. Um, but we all know that it's not a book about music, even if it was perhaps, maybe, probably not, but maybe sung. Um, it is poetry. It is poetry, and it is poetry about love. It is poetry about intimacy. About what? Intimacy. About intimacy. Intimacy is a word that we don't often use within the church. Intimacy is, I wouldn't say it's a taboo, but it's close enough that we don't hear about it too much. We rarely discuss intimate love. It's, it's just one of those subjects that you know, we kind of pretend that you know, we don't really know anything about it until people get married and then we become experts, of course. Um, that everyone has an opinion. Um, but I do, f- here's, here's one thing that does puzzle me a little bit. Um, I mean, let, let's, 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 let's be real from the offset. When's the last time you heard a sermon about sex? Anyone within the last month? <laughs> within, the last within the last year? Within the last year? Where? At uh, Mount in Riverside. Wow. Okay. How about that? How about that? Someone apparently still knows about it. Um, hey, that's not what this sermon's going to be, so you can just do away with those uncomfortable feelings that you have just now. Um, but in saying that, it it does puzzle me, and because I, I speak to some people like, hey, what? Why don't you think that we really talk about sex? And they say, well, because you know, there's a lot of young people. It's like, well, yeah. How do you think they got here? <laughs> there's a lot of young people, and you know, and, and And we don't want to corrupt them, right, by talking about such a taboo subject. But it's interesting because, you know, we talk a lot about anger and we talk a lot about frustration and we talk a lot about depression and we talk a lot about media and its negative influences. Do you think those could have maybe some bad effects on our young people? Right, but but sex is just like an absolute no-no. And I think... That it's because intimacy within a church setting makes us feel a little uncomfortable. It makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Point in case, if this hall wasn't full, if it wasn't full, then what normally happens within a hall is people walk in and they sit in the middle of an empty aisle. Sit in the middle of an empty aisle, and then when you walk in, you see someone in the middle of that empty aisle, and you don't immediately think, well, I should sit next to that person because I've been created as a social being. You normally think, well, where's the furthest point from that middle seat so I don't look like I'm kind of encroaching upon them. So it doesn't look weird, right? Right? Because if there, was, if there was only one person in the auditorium and then you walked in and sat right next to them, you can imagine that they feel a little bit weirded out because we're just not used to that element of closeness, right? We're just not used to that element of closeness, um, which the Song of Solomon spends a lot of time on. I'm going to try and spend some time on the book of Jeremiah um, because some of the same things come out in a parable that I want to run you through. But first, let's start in the book of Exodus. If, you're in, if you brought your Bibles, hopefully you did, um, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, God, I believe, wants a relationship with us, but He wants an intimate one, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. The word here for covenant simply means to enter into a relationship, a covenantal relationship, an agreement of sorts. God says here in verse 5, Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me. You shall be a kingdom of priests. You shall be a holy nation. But this is dependent on the closeness or the intimacy of our relationship with the Lord. Now, I want you to imagine this. Because this is quite, quite, this is quite fascinating. Verse verse 7 says, And Moses came and called the elders of the people and laid before the faces all the words which the Lord commanded. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. I want you to imagine, let's just say for those of you unmarried folk that are here, I'm sure there's maybe one or two. Um, I want you to imagine that you found someone that you were romantically interested in. Maybe, it, maybe that's very difficult for you to imagine right now, and um, well maybe you haven't stopped imagining that since, um, but I just want you to just, 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 you don't even have to picture the person, just picture the scenario, don't run ahead, don't, 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 don't lose me here, alright, don't lose me, stay with me. I want you to imagine there's someone that you're romantically interested in, and then as you're talking, you tell them, well listen, you know, I have a list, and let's be honest, everyone has a list, alright, we we'll all have a list of do's and don'ts, of yeses and big no-no's. And so you have your list, and you say, okay, if you're going to end, and you expect, of course, that they have a list too, but they were polite and let you go first. So you said, okay, if you're going to be in a relationship with me, then you have to tick these things on the list. You have to do this and 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 this. Some of you are laughing. That means you're not married because there's a list, right? And for things to work out, There must be this and this and this and this. You get the point, right? And it goes on. It's great stuff, by the way, great stuff. Don't think of it in negative. Great stuff, this and this. Keeps you focused, always something to do. Always something to do. Always something to do. Doesn't mean you'll always do it, doesn't mean you'll always remember it, Um, but it does mean that the other person will always remember it. (laughs) Okay, see I told you not to lose me, I lost me. So, there's a list. Now I want you to imagine with that list that the person then looks at you straight in the eye Looking at your list and then looking back at you and says, everything on that list, I will do. Can you imagine it? Someone's like, amen. (laughs) If you're here today, I want to (laughs) know, right? Amen. Everything on that list, I will do. You'd be excited. Oh, you'd be excited. Now, of course, there's pressure for you then to say, well, everything on your list, I will do as well. Um, And such a relationship I don't think actually exists. Um, But essentially, this is what God is saying. God is saying, I want to be in an intimate relationship with you. And the people to whom he he sends that request respond by saying, every single thing that you ask of us, we will do it. They are at least verbally, even if they are taking this step somewhat in ignorance, they are at least verbally agreeing to this covenantal contract, to this relationship. They are saying, everything you want, I'll do it. Everything you want. So you enter into the relationship, and then you look back at the list, and you say, okay, this is being done, and that is being done. And oftentimes what we do is we take our ideals, and then we just flip it over to our relationship with God. And we look at our relationship with God as a list. And say, okay, well, have I done this, and have I done that, and have I done this, and have I done that? And then we judge the, the intimacy of the relationship by how many boxes we've ticked. Did I pray today? Yes. Boom. Five points. Did I do my devotion this morning? Boom. Five points. Did I do my devotion before 5 a.m.? Boom. 25 points. Did I do my devotion before 5 a.m.? Outside in nature, 100 points. Right? Okay? Did I? And, and, and we take it off. we like, yes. Done this. Done this. Done this. Done this. And then we look at it. and we think, Oh, super close to God today. Super close to God today. Right, But what God is saying is not, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? What God is saying is, why did you do that? Why did you pray today? Why did you spend time in devotion this morning? Why did you wake up early to do that? Why did you go into nature to do it? Why? I don't really care so much that the things were done as much as I care about the actual motivation behind your actions because that's really where the relationship comes to life, okay? I'm at home and there's loads of stuff to do, all right? I get home before my wife sometimes and and there's dishes in the sink and there's clothes halfway hanging out of the dryer because I was rushing as I was taking them out in the morning and the cats decided that that would be a fun place to play and the whole place is is a mess and I come home and I'm there and I'm like, okay, there's stuff that I have to do, but I'm looking around the house thinking, you know what? I could get some stuff done. So I I get some stuff done and she comes home and says, hey, You know, the house is looking great. Good job. I thought you were super busy today. Like, yeah, you know, I was super busy, but yeah, I had to, so I did it. You know, I I really had to just do all of those things because I really wanted to to win your love today. doesn't really work. Like, I, I, I felt like I had to do these things because we're married and it's expected, so I did the dishes. You know, is that okay? I ticked the box. And suddenly the house looks a little bit dirtier because it's not so much that things were done it's the actual reason why if you only got to do one thing but the reason why you've done it is because you're like they've had a hard day I'm going to do this so they don't have to do it so when they come home they can relax even if it was just one thing that, that, that's amazing now because it's not so much the quantity or maybe even sometimes not so much the quality as much as it is the reason behind it And I think that's where God's focus is when it comes to our relationship. He wants to know why. Because with God, what's most important, I believe, is the actual intimacy of the relationship. If we're just keeping the law to the very letter, but our heart isn't actually in it, then we are essentially guilty of breaking the law. Relationships, I believe, are the bedrock of society. The bedrock of society. I'm in a marriage relationship with my wife. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. (laughs) And there's a certain level of intimacy, right? We first read of this intimacy in Genesis chapter 2. The Bible says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become what? One flesh. To become one flesh is to become incredibly intimate. Look at what Adam says in Genesis 2.23. And Adam said, This is now what? Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Adam looks at her and says, This is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. She essentially has been made just for me, just like me. Before this happens, Adam is doing what? He's naming the animals. And he's looking and he's seeing them coming in pairs, one male, one female probably. And he sees, oh look, the flesh of the lion, the male lion, is just like the flesh of the female lion. Oh look, the the trunk of the the male elephant is the same as the female elephant. Oh look, the skeletal structure of the male giraffe is the same as the female giraffe, but there is none like me. And so then God puts him to sleep. And makes bone of his bone, makes flesh of his flesh. And then wakes him up and God brings Eve to Adam. Now the brother must have been excited. Super excited. I remember on our wedding day, I was standing at, you know, kind of kind of like this, standing at the altar. And I, I remember seeing the doors open at the back of the church. And my wife came out and Renan was singing on the guitar and... And it was great. And she was walking down the aisle with her dad. And I was just like, wow. Wow. This is crazy. (laughs) Like, like actually crazy. Like she might be crazy. (laughs) Like this is insane. Because I knew that as she was walking down that aisle, she was saying, as Solomon's woman once said to him, this is my beloved and I am his. I am making a commitment to enter into a relationship that is going to last a lifetime. It's a covenantal relationship. I'm saying I want to, for the rest of my existence, to be intimate with you. And after Adam sees his wife, after he sees bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, the Bible then says this, And they were both naked the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. They were comfortable with one another. They were comfortable with the nakedness of one another. The relationship between husband and wife, as we discussed if you were with us on Saturday night, is meant to essentially represent the relationship between the Godhead, but also between God and us. Throughout the scripture, God himself is represented as the bridegroom and his people, his church, represented as the bride. There is meant to be a marriage. There is meant to be intimacy. There is meant to be a relationship. There is meant to be love. And I think this is the point of the parable that we find in Jeremiah chapter 13. Why not you turn there? Jeremiah chapter 13. If you're not sure where Jeremiah 13 is, go to Jeremiah chapter 12. And then just go one more chapter forward. And that's actually a rule that you can use throughout the Bible. Jeremiah chapter 13, are you there? Some of you are least in Jeremiah 12? Jeremiah 13, Listen to the word of the Lord in verse one. "Thus saith the Lord unto me, Go and get thee a linen girdle and put it upon thy loins, and put it not in water." So I got a girdle according to the word of the Lord and put it on my loins. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, Take the girdle that thou hast got, which is upon thy loins, and arise, go to Euphrates, and hide it there in a hole of the rock. So I went and hid it by Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. And it came to pass after many days that the Lord said unto me, Arise, go to Euphrates, and take the girdle from thence, which I commanded thee to hide there. Then I went to Euphrates, and digged, and took the girdle from the place where I had hid it, and behold, the girdle was marred, it was profitable for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, after this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart, and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall even be as this girdle which is good for nothing. For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel, and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people, and for a name, and for a praise, and for a glory, but they would not hear. The title of today's message is God's Dirty Underpants. And I want to look a little bit closer at this passage. Look in verse 1. The Lord says to Jeremiah, Go and get thee a linen girdle, and put it upon thy loins, and put it not in water. This linen girdle essentially was their undergarment. It was basically their underwear. And Jeremiah was told to go and purchase... When it says go and get, the word there in the Hebrew for get is kana. It's actually the same word that is used, that is translated into Cain's actual name. And it simply means a possession. Cain was the possessor or it means to, to purchase or to buy. So Jeremiah had to go out and he had to buy essentially a pair of underpants. And then it said that he had to put them on. How many of you think that's good advice? Right? Put them on. Wear them. But the advice gets even better, right? The Lord says to Jeremiah, don't put them in water before you put them on. Amen? Amen. Don't put your underpants in water before you put them on is, is key um, when wearing underpants. Don't put them in water. So it says that he went and did just what God said and put them on. And then the word of the Lord came unto him a second time. The word of the Lord comes to him a second time and says, Okay, get up and go to the Euphrates and hide it there in a hole in the rock. Essentially, I want you to take your underwear, which you're wearing, walk, and it was far for Jeremiah to get to the Euphrates River, and we're go going to walk down to the Euphrates, and when you get there, I want you to take them off and bury them under a rock. How many of you are grateful that you're not a prophet? (laughs) Right? He has to take them off. And put them under a rock. And Jeremiah obeyed. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates as the Lord commanded me. He did it. He's a very obedient man. Now do any of you know what the custom was in regards to how many pairs of underwear they would wear? Any ideas? One. So he would have walked back from the Euphrates back to God's people where he was the, essentially the rejected prophet the one that they never heard and never listened to, and he would have went back there without the underwear. Now, we don't know how much, is t- how much time has passed. In verse 6, it just said, And it came to pass after many days that the Lord said unto me, Okay, go back to the Euphrates and take the girdle from there, which I commanded you to hide there. So he goes back in verse 7. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug and took the girdle from the place that I had hid it. And behold, the girdle was mud, and it was profitable for nothing. Now clothes, all type of clothes, especially linen, they decompose over time. They break down. Um, they'll break down if you, if you just didn't wear them, they'll break down if you wore them all the time. And they'll break down if you just left them in water. But if you wanted to really break them down like super fast, then you'd put them in water, dirty water, and then take them out and let them dry and put them in dirty water and take them out and let them dry and so on and so forth. The worst idea, if you wanted to keep this piece of clothing as useful, was to have it dry, get it wet, and then dry it out again. And this is exactly what the Lord told Jeremiah to do, and we're going to figure out why. But when he takes them out from under the rock, it says that they were marred, and it says, and they were profitable for nothing. And so then God says in verse 9, Thus saith the Lord, after this manner will I mar the pride of Jerusalem and the great pri- sorry mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. He then says in verse 10 that the reason for this is that we refuse to hear his word and then he calls us good for nothing. And then verse 11, we essentially get the meaning of this. He says, the same way that the girdle cleaves to the loins of a man, so I have caused to cleave to me the whole house of Israel. In other words, God is saying that he essentially is the prophet, and the linen girdle, this this piece of underwear, represent the church, represent God's people. And What he's saying is, I went, and I didn't just find a random piece of clothing. No, I went and purchased this piece of clothing. I had to go and buy it. And then once I bought it, you know what I did? I put it on. I wore it. I wore them. And I didn't just wear them like, like an outer shirt or a pair of shoes. I wore them as close as I could possibly wear them. We were in an intimate relationship. Then we find in verse 4, he says, Take the girdle that you have got, which is upon thy loins, arise and go and hide it under a rock. Listen to me. God desires that we would be his most intimate piece of clothing. Clothing in the scripture often represents righteousness. And God is desiring that we would be the closest to Him. That we would be the most intimate piece of clothing. That we would would cling close to Him. That we would love Him to the utmost with all of our hearts. We were designed, you and I, to be as near to God as possible. In the Garden of Eden, it is said that God walked in the midst of the garden with Adam and Eve. Before that, it says that we were created in his image in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. And just after that, it doesn't just tell us that he spoke us into existence, but rather he got down on his knees in the mud and in the clay and formed us with his own hands, that he breathed the breath of life into our nostrils. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, and man became a living soul, the whole process was designed to show you and I that God desires above all an intimate relationship. An intimate relationship. An intimate relationship. Created in the image of His glory and then commissioned to reveal that glory in its fullness at the end of time. But here's the, sa- the sad part of this parable. is God says to the prophet, take them off. Take them off. I've purchased them. I've worn them as close as I possibly can. I've entered into an intimate relationship, but take them off. And don't just take them off, but head where? What river, though? Euphrates. To the Euphrates. Now, for those of you that, that are even slightly familiar with Bible geography, where did the river Euphrates flow? Flew right through to the great nations of Babylon and eventually Medo-Persia as well. He says this. He says, I desired to, I desired to wear them as close as possible, but they would not have it. They could not stand to be that close to me. So, so go down to Euphrates, go near Babylon and take them off and just bury them under a rock. Bury them under a rock. They don't want me. They don't want to be this close. They'd rather be under a rock than be this close to me. The whole world is essentially running around the beach naked, and God says, I want you to be clothed. But what happens is, we get embarrassed by the fact that we're not looking like everyone else. Even though they look ridiculous, they're the majority. And so rather, rather than actually show forth that we do want and desire to have a close relationship with the Lord, we shy away from opportunities to be a witness for Him. We shy away from opportunities of intimacy with Him because we're stubborn, because we're prideful, which essentially is the reason that God brings out here in this parable that the people of Judah and Jerusalem just have too much pride in their heart. They can't bear to be seen this close. And so God says, okay, take them off. Let them go their own way. Bury them in the sand. The message is just too simple. If you and I are not intimately connected to the Lord, we're good for nothing. Useless. I mean, when Jeremiah goes back and looks at the garment. It's worn. It's marred. It's got a holes. It's good for nothing. It's useless. This is what the Lord is saying. It's a warning message. I, I want to be really close. But if you, keep, if you keep pushing me further and further and further away, eventually you're going to end up like this. Eventually you're going to end up where nothing is really working out. Where we, we become useless. Some of us, some of us have settled, let's be real, some of us have settled for a mediocre relationship with the Lord. A mere knowledge of Him and His laws and His statutes, but without actually truly entering in to the union. Now you might not be sure how to judge that. Well, let me ask you a question, it should help you out. Has there ever been a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are right now. Think about it. Now, hopefully for some of you, you'll say, no, this is actually the closest that I've ever been to the Lord. And praise God if that's you. But I would haphazard a guess that for the majority of us, there's been times in our life where we've been closer to the Lord than we are right now. And that is an indication to us That we're not actually as intimate with Him as we could be. You see, I don't believe that the start of the relationship is meant to be the best. I don't. I have, from what I can remember at least, very fond memories of our wedding day. From what I remember, it was beautiful. But I like to think of it as the worst day of our marriage. Because it was the first one. It was never meant to be the best day. The relationship wasn't meant to start off with just a bang and be amazing. And you have what they call the honeymoon period. And then after that, you know, it's back to reality, you know, and then then life comes and hits you. And I'm not trying to say that I live, you know, on cloud nine and I'm extremely idealistic and, and I just walk on roses all the time. No, 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 no. I'm real. Relationships are tough to navigate through because at least one person in every relationship is human. (laughs) So it's difficult. But the ideal of the relationship is that it would continually stem upwards. That it would grow closer and closer and closer to the ideal. That our relationships would grow and not dwindle. There's something, you know, kind of nice about buying someone a rose or a flower. But you are essentially giving them a dead gift, or a dying one at least. Right? My wife and I already have this understanding. I've never had to buy her flowers ever. She's like, don't buy me something that's dying. What are you trying to say? So I've never had to buy flowers. Amen. Praise the Lord. That money can go on vegan milkshakes, you know. It's great. if you buy someone a seed, though, for me, that's far more meaningful. Because they can take that seed and they can plant it and they can watch it grow. And no one expects overnight, by the way, for, for if you plant the seed at night and you wake up in the morning, you're not expecting to see a tree, right? You wake up and what do you expect to see? Nothing. You're not expecting to see anything. You come back in a couple of weeks, maybe there's a little, you know, a, little, a little pinky tree poking out of the ground. And then you come back and you look after it and you allow it to grow and grow and grow. The idea is that by the time you get to the end of the cycle, it is this great flourishing plant. You don't think to start with the tree and then work your way towards the seed. Right? Or, or am I the only one that thinks like that? And this is what the Lord is saying, is that the day that you enter into a relationship with Him, because we do this, we have baptism. How was your baptism? Oh, it was amazing. Oh, my family was there, and, you know, I went in, and then I came out, and they put nice clothes on me, and a little flower, and then they gave me a Bible, and loads of books that I never read, and then it was just super great. It was super great. And then after that, you know, it's got hard, and, and now I'm persevering, and now I'm pushing through. And, and you can tell, because they started off saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then by the end of it, like, you know, the trials, and and you know, is is pray for me, you know. And and again, I understand it's real. It's real. But that doesn't mean that, that the relationship is worse. It means in fact that it's growing. It means in fact that it's growing. What God was desiring was that the beginning of the relationship that he has with you and I wasn't the best part of it. Rather, he's desiring the end. They look at the end and say, now that is what I was waiting for. But with Judah and Jerusalem, that wasn't the case. Has there ever been been a time in your relationship with the Lord where you were closer to him than you are now? Now, how might you judge that? Well... How much time are you putting aside to actually speak to Him? How much time are you putting aside to read His Word? How much time are you putting aside to, to speak to others about Him? Does His love actually does it consume your thoughts? Or, or do you consider service for the Lord to be a, a drudgery? Do you shy away from speaking about Him? Or do you awake in the morning just yearning to hear the Word of the Lord? Do you sing praises to Him during the day? Or do you praise someone else entirely? Are you faithful in the trials that he's brought? Are you trying to commit the word of the Lord to your memory? Are you trying to hide it in your heart so that you will not sin against him? Are you studying to the utmost so that you can use your education for his glory? Because if God is saying anything through this parable with Jeremiah here, Is that a half hearted, one foot in, one foot out, Eutychus kind of Laodicean, half committed relationship just isn't gonna work? God is saying with this undergarment, He's saying that essentially, if you're not willing to be super close to me, then I'd rather you didn't know me at all. You're either on and you're really on or you're under the rock. God's not calling you or I to be a hat. Something you just put on and take off whenever it's convenient or wherever the wind is blowing a certain way. He said, no, no, no. I want you to be the closest you can possibly be to me. And if you're not willing to enter into that close of a relationship, then it's probably best that you don't enter into one at all. Can you imagine getting married and then suddenly the person says, by the way, I only really want to be kind of committed to you. There's other things that I want to do as well. Other people that I want to get to know. There might be other people out there for me. Who knows? Well God knows because you committed. Amen. Me, me, me. Amen? Amen. 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 You've committed into the relationship. You've committed to being intimate with only one. God is saying, I wish you'd made that commitment with me. You know, it was his desire. That the intimacy of his relationship with Israel would attract the world into enter, entering into a similar relationship. There's a great book by, I think it's Skip McCarthy, called Ingranite or Ingrained. Anyone heard of that book? It's a book that goes through the covenants. Wonderful, wonderful book. And it has four DNA markers as to what a covenant actually is, all found in the book of Jeremiah and then later on repeated in the book of Hebrews. But one of them was this. That God's people were not meant to do outreach. Did you know that? God's people weren't meant to do outreach. They were the outreach. It was said no man was going to go to his neighbor and tell them about the Lord. The people, and this is, why, this is why Israel was situated exactly where they were, the people were just meant to pass through Israel as the kind of cornerstone of, of the world, pass through, see the people, realize that their God was the one true God, and enter into that relationship with them. The idea was always that their lifestyle, the way that they would be, their belief and their faith would be the main attraction for the world. But you read through the Old Testament, and it's not that that doesn't happen, it's that it fails miserably. It couldn't be further from the actual truth. What I love, though, is by the time you get to the book of Daniel, you see that God has always had a plan. You see, the original plan was that the world would come to the Hebrews and be converted. But it doesn't happen. So God takes the Hebrews into the world. And then it happens. And where he once had an entire nation hoping that the other nations would pass through them an entire nation of people they all let him down with four young men four young men that mind you were taken as captives from their home castrated on the way brought into a heathen pagan nation brought into a completely foreign country they were forced to enroll in a pagan university and take a babylonian education those four those four were such great witnesses for the Lord that the king of the greatest nation on earth converted. It was always the plan. It was just meant to be the other way around. And in fact, they tried it for a little bit and they brought, they brought the Babylonians into Israel. But instead, we wanted to try and show off. Look at our new building. Look at the way the lights come on and the way it changes color during the night. Never worked. Never worked. They came in and they thought, okay, great, we'll steal that and that and that, we'll come back later and pick it up. It only took four young men that had lives far worse than any of us in this room. And those four, regardless of what happened, regardless of what food was put before them, regardless of when their life was on a line and they were told they were going to just be turned into dunghill, or regardless of whether they were thrown into the hottest fire ever lit on this earth until hellfire comes down itself, or regardless of whether they were thrown into a den full of lions or told that they couldn't pray, they remained faithful and they were an actual witness because regardless of where they went or what they did, everyone around them saw that they had an intimate relationship with their creator and it worked it only takes and we see this right throughout the scriptures every single time it only takes a few people to change the world we've got 19 million adventists, almost 20 there's too many there's too many of us have you read Judges chapter 7 you read Gideon's army 32,000 soldiers. God says, there's just too many. If I use them to win, then they'll just think it was because of them. Let's get it down to 10,000. They get it down to ten. There's still too many. 300. Give me 300 faithful soldiers. And I'll change the course of history. We look like 19 million, so it will take us approximately 14.73 years if we continue to grow at a rate of 26.9% and then we'll catch up with the next biggest... Give me a break! Why are we so focused on growth? The end time message is about reduction. We're told that people are going to leave. We're not going to end this with, with 6 billion people on our side. That's just not reality. What's reality is there's going to be a small number that were faithful. Let's just try and be those. I'm not saying let's not take the message. Absolutely, because some of the those are out there waiting just to be invited in. Invited into an intimate relationship. Invited into a relationship with people that know God better than anyone else on the face of this earth. My people know my voice, he says. When he calls and they pick up, they know exactly who's on the other line, just by the voice. No introduction necessary. I know this guy. I've spent all the time I possibly could with him. He's my savior. What I love is this undergarment. From the moment that it was put under that rock, was always going to be marred. And Jeremiah would have known it. He, He would have understood how these things went. There was no reason to go back for it. The lesson could have been the same. He could have said, Jeremiah, the the, the undergarment under the rock is marred. And that's what I'm going to do to Judah. But no, no, he says, go and get it from out. Get it from under the rock. Take it out. Listen to me. From the beginning of time, from the beginning of earth's history, God has been cleaning dirty underwear. He's been cleaning you and I he's been taking us marred and as useless and unprofitable as we have been in the past he's been taking us and desiring above all to restore us to our natural state that's the gospel message that's the gospel that though you are useless i can then make you profitable once more i can patch up those holes i can cleanse you i can make you as though you were new you just have to listen that's all he's saying look at verse 11 but they would not hear that's what he's asking for that we would listen to his voice you and i are this undergarment purchased with the blood of christ and god says i just want to put you on i just want to be close to you i just want to have a closer relationship with you than with any other being that I've made. You're the only one that can reflect my glory. You can, you're the only one that can tell the story of salvation as ones who have actually experienced it. But some of us, some of us are just under the rock, hiding away, just getting wasted. Day after day, becoming more and more useless. The Lord said, that doesn't have to be your fate. You don't have to be separated from me. You don't have to shy away from that level of intimacy with the Lord. Where you tell him the deepest and darkest secrets in your life. Where you show him exactly who you are. Where you invite him into every room. Where nothing is left unturned. There was a time in my life, at least, when I felt super useless. Absolutely no purpose whatsoever. What could the Lord use? What could He do? There was nothing left. Now oh, I still stand before you as a filthy undergarment. Torn and marred because of ridiculous decisions i made even after the Lord chose me even after he reached down and plucked me out from under the rock. But I've witnessed too many times. I've witnessed too many times his grace and his desire to do something miraculous in my life, for me to desire to go back into that hole. And yeah, sometimes I, I wander back towards it. Sometimes I doubt. Sometimes I wobble and sway. Sometimes I notice the filth a lot. But I look back at Isaiah and it's still there. Though my sins were as scarlet, was it scarlet? An apparently unremovable dye. They could be as white as snow. I can still be cleaned. You can still be cleaned can still be restored can still be can still be fixed can still start again and so he asks right at the end there i want to cleave to the house of israel to the house of judah to my people why so that they might be my people so that they might be my name so that they might be my praise so that they might be my glory do you want to be god's people do you know what it means to be his name to actually to be his name to be his character to be his praise not just to give it but to be it to be his glory This is the desire of the Lord. And so this appeal is to everyone then. Because there isn't a single soul in this room right now that cannot be at least one step closer. Everyone can be one step closer. Even if you've never taken the step, you can be one step closer. You can have a more intimate relationship there's more that you can tell him there's more that you can show him there's more that you can trust him there's more of your time that you can give him there's more of you that he can have so tonight when you go home Whether you go home with your spouse, or with your family, or with your friends, or with your roommate, or whether it's just you and the Holy Spirit. Let that be your prayer. Lord, bring me closer. And though when I get closer I see my filth even more, bring me closer and help me to trust that you can make me clean. That you can make me whole again. Bring me closer and let me claim those promises. If any man confesses sin, that God is what? Faithful. Do you believe that God is faithful? We're unfaithful, but He's faithful. He's faithful to cleanse us from all of our sins, from all of our unrighteousness. You and I can be that holy garment for God again. We can be that bright light. We can be His glory in this dark world. If we would just choose to come a little closer, and when we get there, to come closer yet, and closer yet, and closer yet. God wants to restore you. He wants to restore me. As individuals and as a collective. Let Him wear you. Come close. Enter not into a half-hearted relationship with Him, but an intimate one. One where there's no one on the face of this planet that you would want to be closer with. Because that's the goal. That's the goal that at the end of time when Jesus Christ returns, that there would be nothing between. Nothing between my soul and my Savior. You know the song. Nothing. Not a single thing between the relationship that I have with my Savior, with my Redeemer, with my Jesus. (coughs) Father in heaven, we pray, Lord, that you, would, that you would bring us closer this evening. Show us, Lord, the obstacles that are in our way. Show us the things that block our path. Show us the things that we keep stumbling over time and time again. Father, help us to navigate. Help us to see the parts of ourselves that are wholly unlike you. The characteristics that we cling to that we know we need to surrender, Lord. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to take another step to Christ and another and yet another. And if we fall, then help us to get back up and take another and one more closer and closer still, nearer to my God. Father, we want to walk with you today. We want to start something that will never finish. We want to walk with you for the rest of our life. Help us, Father, to come closer. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.